0: Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris, and I'm so excited. We are on our 60th episode. Uh, that's kind of a pretty big milestone for Charlie and myself. You know, as we look back, starting this thing just shy of seven months ago, 60 episodes was a feat we thought, man, that would uh, that would take some time to get to. But uh, Charlie, you've done a wonderful job. Thanks for thanks for holding this place down and making a, a wonderful production out of this. I'm, I'm just, I'm super glad to, to, to be partnered with you and go through this. And to all of our wonderful guests that have been on the show, uh, thank you guys for everything. And then my co-host, Daniel Halverson, Alex Stewart, you guys have been a big part of this. Super grateful to have you guys on this journey with me as well. And I just wanted to give a big shout out before we start the episode since we're on this pivotal episode 60. So what are we gonna talk about today? So I'd like to talk about the debt ceiling. It seems to be a situation where it's in the headlines. Um, there's a lot going on right now. And, and, and you know, if you're the news, there's a um, there's kind of this this ideology of we're pitting sides against one another. And I do want to take this as a very non side driven podcast. But I think there's some things in here that are worth talking about. And as I've kind of had conversations on the side with people, they're like, hey, Quentin, the debt ceiling, like we go through this every year. Um, And to their point, we do. But I don't think it's ever gotten to the magnitude that we're at right now, except maybe back in 2011, right? There's that time in 2011, that it did happen. And we went like a day or two over the debt ceiling. And, you know, we kind of saw the repercussions of what happened during that time, but it was nipped in the bud super quickly. You know, and, and right now, I'm not so sure that that's, a quick fix that's going to happen or if it's going to get done. But I will tell you the closer we get to that June 1st date, we'll we'll start to see some some more cooperation, maybe even that magic word compromise if we could do that. But before we get started, let's talk a little bit about w- why we're we even in this conundrum. So, you know, the United States it, it has a credit limit and 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 it's about to hit that limit. And the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she has said basically the the government basically has to stop borrowing as soon as as June 1st they run out of funds to pay their bills and we'll talk about what those bills are but essentially we have to we have to pass a debt ceiling that allows them to exceed that and there's a history behind that and you know and depending on on who you ask about this they might say no big deal or they might say this is a catastrophic event but again, we survived this in 2011 and it, and it wasn't really that big a deal because it ended so quickly. However, you know, this could get potentially bad quickly. Let, let's just kind of explore what happens if we go beyond the June 1st day. Here's what's at stake. And I'm looking at my notes here as I kind of run through this because there's a lot at stake. On June 1st, you got 12 billion in VA benefits that are due. These are payments that are due. So when they say, hey, listen, the news says they'll default on their debt. These are the debts they're referring to that are due on between June 1st and June 15th. You've got $12 billion in VA benefits. You've got $25 billion in Social Security benefits. You've got $47 billion in Medicare. You've got $1 billion that are due in potential tax refunds that are lingering out there. You've got $4 billion in federal employee salaries. And then the list goes on down to food stamps, education programs, defense contractors. I mean, it is a robust list of things that are due between June 1st and June 15th. And you know, there's this, there's this ideology that Janet Yellen's even posturing, talking about making and minting a $1 trillion coin through the Federal Reserve. Um, I think that's like, not going to happen, but she has kind of, you know, floated that idea out there. But let's talk about this. Let's go into the history. So the Constitution gives Congress the power of purse, right? So that was put in place years ago. And, and the responsibility is to set tax and spending policies inside of that. And the United States has a budget, and that budget is generated off the revenue. Well, it's supposed to be generated off the revenue the country makes. And most of that revenue does come from taxes that are put on, you know, the the, the citizens of the United States and we'll get into that in just a moment here. But once that power of purse is put into place and Congress presents a budget of some sort to the president, and the president's job is, then is to execute those policies as well as that budget. And the bill that Congress passes um, essentially are actually orders to the president. It's not like a if this, then that. If they pass a budget, that budget goes to the president of the United States. Now, he does have an opportunity to veto it, but the reality is it's his job to approve that and move on. And, you know, you spend a certain amount of money on things that, that, that that you know, we are supposed to buy, right? And that we're supposed to fund. Many of those things I just described. But the 14th Amendment says the full faith and credit of the United States government debt can't be questioned. So the 14th Amendment basically says you can't question our debt and what we're spending our money on. And that's interesting because right now in the news, that's one of the things they're talking about, that the the president could just bypass everyone and just go ahead and, and pass a debt. that. Or excuse me, increase the debt limit. He could theoretically under the 14th Amendment. That will probably be tied up in legal battles from when he decided to do that. that will never see the light of day. And we will be well beyond all this June 1st through 15th debt date that we're talking about that it would be basically irrelevant. And, and, and the president knows that, that that's why they're in this stalemate. Cause think about it. If he could just go ahead and bypass the house and just do what he wants, he would do it. But we, you know, we have a chain of command and we have a, excuse me, an executive branch system that doesn't allow for that. And there's some sort of a checks and balance, which is why we have Congress and we have the house and we have the Senate. So the, the house has passed this bill, excuse me, presented this bill. And right now, you know, it's 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 interesting because it's sitting in front of the president of the United States and it's sitting in front of this basically barrier and lack of communication. You know, if you think about the sides right now, it's we live in an environment where two sides can't seem to see eye to eye for the greater good of what needs to be done. This is a classic example, and it's it's kind of interesting to me because um, as we get into the weeds of this here what one side wants to do versus what the other side wants to do, but there's no bend on either side. And hopefully we see a little bit of that bend here in the next couple of days, but between now and then there's a lot of posturing taking place. So what does it mean about a debt ceiling and why do we even have that? Well, oftentimes you'll hear people kind of refer to the debt ceiling as like a family budget. Sometimes they'll even sit around and and use the example of a family sitting around the kitchen and discussing their finances. Um, It's relatable to do it that way, But they're not two of the same thing. It's kind of a flawed comparison because the federal government clearly isn't a family and it has an entirely different ability and limitations than that of a family budget. Um, Their abilities are are much different than that. So think about it like, the way I like to look at it is like when you borrow money, you go to a lender and that lender may say, okay, you're borrowing for a house. I'm going to give you as a lender in this scenario the opportunity to borrow enough to buy the house that fits your budget. And I don't want to allow you to over." spend on that budget because then there's a threat of you not paying me back so the lender in this case is the united states treasury the borrower in this case is going to be congress and the reality is this there are a lot of investors on wall street that say washington just has too much debt yet their actions don't really represent that thought process because they'll throw trillions of dollars at u.s treasuries for minimal returns because they know it's backed by the faith of the united states government however there are limits and, you know, the reality is the government may reach these limits someday, but that limit is probably not going to be this month. And it's politically self-imposed limit, if you may say, because we could increase this budget really today, right? But it's a politically self-imposed limitation right now. But what's going to happen is that the bond market, you know, the ones that I'm talking about, the treasuries and the bond markets, they'll gladly lend, you know, the treasury as much as it needs because they'll do it on very attractive terms. It, 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 we've seen it happen time and time again. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. So the real issue is this, what happens when the tax rates that Congress sets doesn't raise enough revenue? What happens? And then Congress also won't raise the debt ceiling to let the president fill the gap between the revenue and the debt. Well, that's kind of where we're at right now. And the reality is we shouldn't be in that position. Uh, you know, if you were running a budget, if you were running a household, you know, as I said earlier in there, or if you were a lender, would you lend to someone that couldn't afford the payments consistently over and over again? Or would you continue to outspend and outperform the income you have coming in? At some point, it, it will stop. There's a cease for that to happen. But we haven't seen that point happen yet in, in our country and in our debt ceiling. And the reality is we are spending more than we're bringing in. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of those reasons are new you know, particular programs we put in place, funding of certain aspects of, of agencies, more importantly, new programs, um, some of the forgiveness that has been taking place. Like there's a lot of things that are being funded right now that we just normally haven't had in the budget. And quite frankly, we haven't had a balanced budget really since President Clinton, and, and that's shown in the growth of the national debt in the United States. So you know, getting back to um, that Fourteenth Amendment that you that I was talking about earlier, where, where the president can invoke that Fourteenth Amendment. The reality is, as I talked about, it's not going to happen because if it did, it'd be tied up in legal battles as to was that appropriate, was it not appropriate, was it called for, was it uncalled for, did you have the right to do it, did you not have the right to do it. Because of all of that, it will never make the light of day, and therefore it's really it's almost like a stall tactic. But yet, what isn't going to stall are those bills that I was talking about earlier that are going to come due, and the American people are the ones that are going to feel that impact. So here's some possibilities that I think could happen. And I think. To first say, I think the the president is put in an impossible situation right now that's built on leverage. Um, Unfortunately, the current administration is is in an impossible situation as far as the debt ceiling is concerned because you're really damned if you do, damned if you don't in this situation here. Because, uh, you know, you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to strike a deal with the opposing side of the table. And inside of that, what you're going to have to agree upon is the following things. You're going to have to give them some terms and give them some conditions that that they want, you know, that, that, that the House Republicans want. And the Democrats don't want to do that right now, and and really they they're, they don't have a choice. And historically speaking, it's not like we haven't seen this before. I mean, in two thousand seventeen, you know the Democratic Party leveraged the debt ceiling to get some reform done that they wanted done. It was also done again in 2011. And and it's been done in the 80s, too. This is a normal thing. This is this is what they talk about extending a hand across the aisle and getting some compromise to help each side be a winner. In this particular case, we're not seeing that compromise take place yet. So it's crazy because, you know, something the president should just simply ignore the debt ceiling issue more as I talked about. But even if Congress doesn't act for him, just go ahead and increase it and move on. But that's not great because it, it would put a lot of pressure on the bond market and it would put a tremendous amount on raising interest rates. Uh, you know, On this show, we talk a lot about what could happen and what um, the, the deciding factor is. You know, If we just arbitrarily issued new debt just to raise it to do it, um, the amount of pressure that's going to put on the bond market would be absolutely asinine. And I think that that could devalue some things. And also really, you know, we could see rates jump dramatically. Uh, I saw an article from Zillow this morning where they suggest that the rates would actually go, in this particular case I'm talking about, could go from 6.4 to 8.5 pretty quickly on mortgage interest rates because of this. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but that is a possibility. The other thing we have is this, is that, you know, the Republicans have control of the House, and they're saying, hey, listen, spending is out of control. It's completely spending out of control. So they proposed a budget to save $3.2 trillion over 10 years. Now, that sounds good, and that's big on paper, but the challenge is that it's hard to believe that you could forecast anything for 10 years when you're not going to have control of that budget for 10 years. I mean, really, all you should be proposing is for year one. Like, that's all you really have control of is year one. You know, in year two, you don't have necessarily control. You absolutely don't have control for year 10. So when you think about the fact that you're throwing these huge numbers up at $3.2 trillion over a 10-year spending, or excuse me, over a 10-year savings, that's really hard to control and hard to predict. So I I think that's a feel-good moment, but that's really not – fair to throw that number out there and say, Hey, this is what we're proposing is going to save this because again, you don't have control over the next 10 years. Um, you know, and and the other thing is this, I think that, you know, the future Congress could always change and pull back on bills. We've seen that happen. Um, you've seen bills that were passed by one administration that come in and then the next administration comes in and does away with them completely. And so that, that's another popular trend we've seen really over the course of the last 12 years. So I think that it's almost like a meaningless proposal at three point two trillion dollars, but I think what they're wanting to do is they're wanting them being the Republicans in this case, they want to get a couple of things reformed that they felt like were spent um, and, and rolled in under the Cares Act and the Inflation Act. I think they want the Inflation Reduction Act. They want some of that pulled back, and so I think that a, a key fact for me is this: is that you know when it comes to that that three point two trillion, you know, ninety five percent of it is in years two through 10. It's not in year one. So when I talk about a feel good, you know, proposal, that if you look at that 3.2 trillion, 95% of it is is on the come up on the last couple years. So it's not like it all starts right there in year one. So that's kind of a flawed number as well. And again. We only see that if Congress continues to make those cuts again and again and again inside of this 10-year plan, not in year one. So in other words, you know, it's just – there's rarely – excuse me. There's not even a chance you're going to see the light of day of that $3.2 trillion. But both sides actually are boasting a pretty big game. If you look at the Republicans, they're saying spending cuts. They're claiming credits is a long shot based on, you know, well, what we're describing in the in the, in the $3.2 trillion reform act that they're doing. And, and quite frankly, the Democrats, they're just – pretty much afraid that the domestic programs they've put in place, they're going to cease or they're going to they're face dramatic cuts, neither of which are going to happen. So, you have both sides that don't want to give and both are operating in kind of a stance of fear here. So, let's back up for a second. Maybe the best way to rethink this would be to say, hey, listen, let's focus on the 2024 fiscal budget. Let's just focus on that. Focus on the year at hand that's coming up, not the additional nine years in 2025 all the way through 2034. Like, that that doesn't really mean anything in this scenario. Let's focus on the current one we have and how do we reduce that budget? The reality is this, you know, those numbers aren't big enough in that one year to give you an impact like 3.2 trillion. I mean, for goodness gracious, we're on a 2 trillion year budget, which is just crazy to think that that's the federal budget, but you're not gonna get a savings astronomical compared to that 3.2 number that's being thrown around uh, by the Republican side there. So, but it's not impossible to think that the House and the Senate could come together present the president with a bill to sign and increase the debt ceiling on a proper budget for 2024. However, that requires compromising. And that may be what's impossible right now is the compromising of both sides. And, you know, compromise is is what's made politics work For a very long time, you know, that extending the arm across the aisle, that compromising, that bending, that getting a little bit of what each party wanted, but maybe not everything you wanted and gave you ability to come back for more. That's what's made politics work for a very long time. And uh, that's effectively seems to be broken right now. And until that can put itself back together, the situation could potentially blow up. And if it blows up and you're looking for someone to blame, it's probably going to be compromise, so uh, I hope you guys have found this helpful. I hope that you appreciate it, because to me, I, I hate reading the news and not being able to kind of decipher what's going on there and really kind of dive into it. And we say over and over again, the news is not your friend. And depending what outlet or what pundit you're listening to, they want you to feel the way they feel. They want you to be as as agitated as they are or as, uh, you know, one sided as they are in this particular case. So my job today was I thought I could enlighten the situation and talk a little bit more about it. So if you enjoy these podcasts, five star review it for us, please check us out on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. And then, again, share this with a friend. You know, share the podcast from Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google with a friend. We definitely appreciate it. And then check us out on our social handles at What's Your One More with the number one. What's Your One More? Thanks again, guys. I got one more shot, I'm going to make it. One more chance, I'm going to take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so i put them all into it, yeah.